Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is the only podcast geared towards addiction treatment and behavioral health center owners, directors, and executives. It is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in strategic marketing and growth for addiction treatment and behavioral health centers. If you need to get in touch with them to grow inquiries for your center or just organize operations, you can go to their website at circlesocialinc.com. Today, we are talking with Dr. Barry Raymond. He is the VP of Business Development for Recovery Unplugged, and they have a program, actually have programs across the country. Um, I was fortunate to visit them a couple months ago, and I absolutely loved what they do. It's very unique. It's very different. I think like a lot of people, when I heard about the program, I thought it was going to be some kind of maybe fluffy music, art therapy um, as a focus, and it's not. They take and incorporate music into aspects of their therapy, but they also incorporate into all aspects of their marketing and their business development outreach. They do it in a very unique way, and it really helps differentiate them and helps them stand out in an increasingly crowded and competitive marketplace. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Barry on. Uh, He has some great information on what you can do to make your center stand out like they do and gives you a bunch of creative ideas, um, practical ideas in different ways that maybe that can be applied. So let's listen to Dr. Barry and see what he has to say. Hey, Barry, welcome to the show today. I really appreciate you coming on. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Recovery Unplugged? Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Dr. Barry Ryman. I am the Vice President of Business Development for Recovery Unplugged. Uh, I guess I wear uh, many hats and I manage our outreach team, um, which is the lifeblood, obviously, of, you know, um, getting clients into the treatment center and, you know, making sure that um, we're managing relationships properly and things of that nature. Sure. And you've been in the recovery space for quite a while. You even uh, had your own center at one point. Is that correct? That is true. Yeah. Um, I owned a center for about four and a half years. Um, I've been working in the field for the last 15 plus years. And I'm also a person in long-term recovery. I've been clean now for a little over 22 years. Awesome. So I really wanted to have you on the show today because I was there what, a couple months ago, I think it was, and I was just really impressed with your guys' program, and you have a very specific focus on music. And so when I first came in, and like I think most people do, um, I assumed it was like a music therapy program, but that's not really the case. You guys use music in pretty unique ways. So can you tell us a bit about the program? Sure. I mean, you know, and I'll be honest, you know, I I come to work every day and and I feel like I should be paying them to be here. Um, (laughs) I just get, you know, if I go through a day with, uh, you know, with less than three times that I get chills on my arms, you know, that that would be a rare day. So um, and and, and you're right, you know, I think there's a common misconception out there about what Recovery Unplugged is and, and how we operate. We are not a music therapy program. Um, music is used as a catalyst to connect with our clients. We know that music speaks to the soul and, you know, brings about areas um, from our past, um, memories, um, sensations, you know, that wouldn't otherwise be brought to the surface without it. And, you know, uh, I've been alive now for almost 43 years, and I don't think I've met a single person that's ever told me they don't at least like music, you know, in one form or another. So. Right. Um, 
It's really great. I mean, because I think, you know, back in my high school and college days, you know, when I had my own drinking issues, you know, I was all centered around music, right? And obviously you go to a concert, you know, something festivals, and there's lots of music, there's lots of drugs, there's lots of alcohol. And I'm pretty sure this is a common experience for a lot of us, you know, in the field. A lot of us are going through recovery. So, you know, how does that kind of play out in terms of your program and how you relate it to people's experiences in their recovery? Well, I mean, that's a great question, Nick. Um, you know, I, 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 for one, have been guilty, you know, in the past, if I'm driving in my car and a song comes on and it brings about a memory that I'm not very fond of, um, I may be quick to change the channel. And, you know, what I've learned is over the time being here is that, you know, that power can be harnessed in the, you know, in the treatment of addiction and mental health. And we kind of flip the script on it a little bit where we focus on things called recovery triggers rather than relapse triggers. You know, when the clients are here at our center, um, they hear a number of different songs, you know, performed by one of our founders, Richie Supa, you know, who, who at one point was a touring member of the band Aerosmith, and he has an entire album that he's composed. And, and we do a group here on Fridays called Feel Good Friday, where a lot of these songs are performed live. And um, just as if a, a song can connect us with a time in our life where we had shame or, you know, heartache, um, there are now songs that, you know, people can now connect with that brings about feelings of happiness or safety as far as being in treatment. So one of the ways we utilize music is to allow our clients to feel that safety net when certain songs come on. And, and you know, and I know, and I think most of the world knows that music is definitely a mood changer. Hmm. So... I don't know if that covered it or not. But. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I absolutely loved about, you know, the tour that I took with you guys when I was there. And you guys did something really cool and what I thought was really special is, like you said, you flipped that script and you actually give all of your clients on Discharge an iPod of music that they've listened to. And, you know, again, when I think back, you know, there's certain bands or certain music that always brings me back to like high school and college and parties and festivals and things but you give them new music that they can listen to that triggers those memories that they've had of experiences in your center and, you know, a different orientation. Um, that is correct. So, yeah. and just, yeah. Can you just talk up and expand a little bit about, you know, how that came about and maybe the thought process behind it? Sure. I mean, listen, um, you know, we know that treatment at times can be considered a bubble and we understand that, you know, being in treatment is a very safe place, no matter, no matter what treatment center, as long as they're ethical and, providing good care, you know, treatment is a very safe place to be. Um, and, and the majority of people can enter into a treatment center and stay clean while they're in treatment. You know, they have all the support they need and, you know, they have people around them that are doing the same things and they start to build a sober support group. Um, the issues have been, you know, what happens when a client discharges from treatment? You know, what happens when, a, you know, a client moves to either uh, intensive outpatient or outpatient or just, you know, um, back home and, and under no supervision, you know, those are the times that, you know, obviously where, where the client is, you know, at most risk for relapse. So we provide them with an MP3 player with all of the tracks that they heard while they were in treatment. So that if they're in a place where they start to feel like they want to use um, you know, maybe they call their sponsor and their sponsor doesn't answer. They reach out to their support group and their support group doesn't answer. You know, they can pop on some of the tracks that they heard while they were here and automatically the brain gets associated to a time where they felt safe and kind of reminds them 
of what their you know long-term mission is which is to stay clean and it just helps reframe the thinking at that moment you know what do we know about thoughts you know uh, thoughts are only bad when we act on them and just because we have a thought doesn't mean we have to act and just because we have a thought doesn't mean you know two minutes later that that thought is not going to pass because it typically does so we know at times, you know, when it comes to staying clean long term, it's really about learning how to stay clean, you know, two minutes at a time when those thoughts are there. And, and you know, music has proven to be effective during those times of, you know, what I would call crisis. I love that. Do you get feedback from patients actually, you know, to say, hey, look, you know, this happened. I had a tough time. I popped in you know, my MP3 or a particular song and kind of got through it. All, all the time, all yeah. the time. You know, we get feedback that, uh, you know, they're back home, they're driving over a certain bridge, and that bridge, you know, um, was the same bridge they used to drive over to, to cop dope. And, um, you know, they know before getting on that bridge, they're going to pop a song on that Richie's singing, and it literally just centers them and brings them back to that moment that they were sitting, you know, listening to him live, you know, while in treatment. That's so, awesome. yeah, it's a very common occurrence, and... and you know, any treatment center teaches coping skills, right? And yeah. this is just another added coping skill that we've given to our clients here for them to put in their toolbox to, you know, use in, in everyday life. And then if I remember right, there was a family connection there. Did you maybe provide that playlist to the family as well? Um, so I think if what we're referring to here, if I remember right, and, and I'm sorry if I'm a little off on this, but there, there were times, well, obviously, you know, we have a family program in place mm -hmm. um, and it takes place once a month. It's a family weekend and the families are invited down here to participate in treatment and go through workshops and learn about enabling and boundaries and the disease of addiction. And, you know, they're also introduced to the live music portion. But, you know, we had a client here who had lost his father to brain cancer. And um, it had happened three years prior to his admission um, at Recovery Unplugged. And I had a long history, you know, with this particular client over the last decade or so. And his family happened to be here um, during a certain group we do, which we can go into after. And, you know, I said to his, you know, to his mom, I said, you know, what song connects, you know, this client to his father? Um, because a lot of times we use music to actually bring out emotion as well, you know, both positive and negative. And she looked at me and right away she said, Bob Marley, we jamming. <laughs> and I said, great. And um, this particular client was about to go on stage to um, perform one of his assignments. And as he was walking on stage, you know, we played this Bob Marley, we jamming song. And he looked at me and I looked at him and just tears were just streaming down his face. And it was just right away that connection was made. It brought him to a space of being raw and vulnerable. And, um, you know, the family totally contributed to that. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I thought that was such a great idea. Because, like you said, we connect so well over music. It's just a big mm -hmm. part of our lives a lot of the time. And so, you know, if you can get what bands people like or what music they listen to on a regular basis and bring that in, especially, you know, at intake, right? Um, it just establishes that immediate connection, you know, at least it always has for me. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So, you know, another thing that I think sometimes 
people think about the program is obviously it's very music oriented. And so some of what you do is actually geared specifically towards musicians and some is not. And you've also had a couple quite famous musicians through the program. Like you said, you know, founding member or um, someone that's toured with Aerosmith and obviously Aerosmith has always had dry concerts for a long time now. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you just tell us a little bit about the mix of the program and musicians versus non-musicians? Sure. And and that's a great question. Um, I would say about 80 to 85% of our clients who come to us are not musically inclined. Um, you know, meaning, you know, they don't know how to play an instrument or can't carry a tune. Mm-hmm. You know, there is that 15 to 20% um, that are musicians and a lot of them very talented ones. So um, the question has always been, you know, if I come to Recovery Unplugged, do I need to be a musician? And the resounding answer is no. You know, what you need is, you know, um, you just need to like music. And, mm-hmm. and like I said earlier in this in this podcast, um, in, in almost the 43 years I've been alive, I haven't encountered anybody that told me they don't like music. Right. Um, I don't know many people that, you know, take car rides in just complete silence all the time. You know, there's <laughs> a reason that music is used in all areas of life, you know, ranging from spirituality and religion you know, to entertainment, to funerals. Um, so music has just been this big component. Um, I can't disclose, obviously, any of our former clients that have been here, mm-hmm. um, you know, that have been musicians, but I can tell you that we've had a lot of, uh, you know, A-list and, and B-list musicians that have come through our facilities um, just because of, you know, the relatable factor. And then we are also um, working with or a co-sponsor with an organization called Music Cares, and Music Cares is a branch of the Grammys, and it is for struggling musicians out there that have a minimum of a five-year history in the music industry. And it doesn't necessarily have to be professionally. They don't even have to be musicians. They could be roadies that were out on tour with a band, you know, um, soundstage guys, light guys, um, soundcheck guys, um, or, you know, somebody who maybe has, you know, had some gigs in bars, you know, over the last five years or in clubs. And what they can do is they can apply for a grant through Music Cares, and they will have the ability to attend our facility, you know, um, with no finances and no insurance. So it's another gift that's given through the music industry that allows somebody the chance, you know, to get better when they're kind of down on their luck. That's awesome. And so you've got this kind of image, and maybe we'll move it a little bit more into the business end of things. So that's an interesting maybe challenge from a business development or a marketing standpoint where it's really great on the one hand, uh, it's a very interesting approach, very unique, but at the same time, like you said, people have a misconception and maybe they think it's not for them. Uh, so how does that play out You know, on the business development end? Do you have to overcome a lot of questions or do you think it maybe prevents people from finding you or do you think it helps people finding you? Uh, again, you know, that's a kind of a double-edged sword because I, I see it both ways. And I can tell you from an outsider's perspective, prior to, you know, joining the team at Recovery Unplugged, my initial reaction many, many years ago was, wow, that's really gimmicky. And how is somebody playing the guitar or the drums, you know, going to get them better? Um, and that was coming from a very uninformed and ignorant perspective without knowing, you know, the clinical team, without knowing the clinical schedule, the different types of therapies they do, and how they actually incorporate music into the program. So I think that, you know, part of our process on the business side is really educating people that this is not, 
people sitting around in a circle, banging drums, singing the Kumbaya, um, you know, and just trying to catch recovery through osmosis, you know, by being <laughs> around other people that have it. Yeah. You know, this, this really is an all-encompassing program, and we do practice um, lots of different treatment modalities from EMDR for our clients who have a history of trauma or cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical and behavioral therapy. Um, so we do a lot of um, traditional treatment approaches, um, in a very non-traditional way, if I could say it that way. Yeah. So I think that once people come to understand who we are and what we do and the way we utilize music, they have a greater understanding for what makes us so successful. And, and it really has been successful. So then on kind of the flip side of that, you know, on the positive end, you know, how do you find it, it helps you when you're either doing business development, outreach, community, marketing, that kind of thing? Sure. Well, um, one, we're different, right? Um, different doesn't always equal better. Um, but in my eyes, you know, being different and, and unique, the one thing that helps you do is stand out. So we're not your, you know, our business cards are in the shape of guitar picks. Our brochures are in the shape of guitar picks. You know, if we present at a conference, we offer pens that are drumsticks. Hmm. So I, I think from that perspective and being unique and different helps us stand out from the rest of the different, you know, treatment centers that are in the area or that are spread across the country with more traditional approaches. Again, I also said early on, you know, that I don't know anybody that doesn't like music. So, you know, when they hear that this is a music based facility, I think right away there's some attraction right there. And if not attraction, at least curiosity. And then, you know, once that person is interested and really wants to learn more, they truly understand. I think for me, you know, what really um, makes an impact on people is when they're actually here at the facility to see what we do. Um, it's really hard to describe um, through just a conversation. One of the founders said to me once, it's like trying to explain to somebody what chocolate tastes like you know, without using the word chocolate. Sure. Um, it's the kind of thing that you just have to experience. And I know, Nick, that you personally toured with me and when you were here, so you can kind of appreciate, you know, the gravity of what I'm saying, that once you see it and once you feel it, you get it. Yeah. Yep. That was exactly it. You know, you guys have a very impressive operation. You know, everything from your outreach to your marketing call center, you know, you are filling. Um, it's all like you guys are good. <laughs> but what really <laughs> stood out you. to me was, you know, that clinical piece. You know, like I said, I, I walked in, had the same kind of bias you did. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of expecting this to be a little bit fluffy music art therapy maybe um, without clear outcomes. But that was not the case at all. You know, it was very clear. Everyone was on top of it. You know, and obviously, you know, we met a couple patients and man people were into it right like i could see their engagement and that's a level of engagement that i don't always see when walking into a center so it was really impressive all around yeah i mean and and you know not not for nothing we are being studied um currently we're almost three years into a study with a local university here called nova southeastern university and they've been studying outcomes and, and AMA rates, and we're creating our own evidence-based model through the use of music. So it's a really neat time to be involved with Recovery Unplugged. What we know in the industry is, and even with insurance companies, is insurance companies are now looking towards you know, evidence-based models mm -hmm. and, and things you could put numbers on. 
Um, so at the end of the day, you know, this is something I think we were a little bit ahead of the game on because, like I said, we're in year three of a three-year study. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're hip to, to what's going on out there, and, and we believe in what we do, and, and the results kind of speak for themselves. Yeah, I think you guys have a lot of advantages, and, you know, like you said, that differentiation is key. You know, yours is a little bit interesting and it has that double-edged sword element, but so many centers – it's very hard for them to stand out. You know, maybe they have a clinically excellent program, but honestly, a lot do. You know, their centers are similar, similar locations. So how do you get that edge? And one way to do it is to kind of have that unique differentiation. So very, very cool. Um, all right, so kind of digging a little bit more into the client end of things. So you said that about 80% of your um, patients are actually not uh, musically inclined but do you feel that that music element you said you've had you know a list and b list people come through the program so with that 20 percent as, as patients as yeah, patients, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know would you say that that has been strategic or you know particularly beneficial in having that focus um yeah i mean listen you know it, it, it's uh, i'm i'm not a per uh, i'm not personally a person that gets starstruck um, you know, I've been doing this for too long and understand that this disease of addiction, um, it doesn't matter, you know, the, the disease doesn't care, you know, whether you're a celebrity or, or you're homeless out on the streets. Um, you know, when you come into recovery unplugged, everybody is treated the same. There's no preferential treatment. And, you know, we, we understand that at times, you know, even the, the celebrities seem to be hurting a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, because they spend their time, you know, outside of treatment, if they're performing on stage, always having to wear a mask. So by the time they make it here, you know, the level of vulnerability is very, very high because for the first time in a long time, they feel like they don't have to wear a certain mask to be here. Hmm. Um, And I'm not 100% sure if I just answered your question. I know I can go off on some tangents, but... Yeah, um, no, I think that was good. So maybe a little bit more specifically then... You know, do you guys do particular outreach into the musical communities in different aspects? So obviously you have that scholarship uh, program you relate to, but is, is that built yeah. in somewhere? I mean, you know, we, we uh, yes and no, I guess. Um, you know, I know that uh, myself and Andrews, one of the founders of the program, we attended a benefit concert for recovery hosted by Music Cares out in Seattle a few months ago. Mm. And it was a concert that was honoring Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, there were a lot of different musical guests there. I mean, but no, we don't specifically target, um, you know, the Grammy, uh, Grammy Association, or we don't specifically target Columbia Records or, or anything like that, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I was just kind of wondering, especially from a business development standpoint, you know, are you doing anything that particularly focuses on musicians? Not not necessarily. That's interesting. So you think that most musicians that find you are finding you through your just regular outreach or probably word of mouth, you know, from the community? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've done, um, I'd like to think we have a national brand. You know, we have centers that are located in Florida and Austin, Texas, which is the live music capital of the country, um, just outside of Washington, D.C. and Annandale, Virginia. And we just broke ground and started construction in Nashville, Tennessee, which is Music City. So I think that, you know, the areas that we are strategically placed, um, you know, musicians speak with musicians. 
And, you know, one of our, our owners, you know, like I mentioned earlier, is Richie Supa, who has a, a, a very long history as a Grammy Award winner and, a, you know, a former touring member of, of Aerosmith and a singer and songwriter and guitar player. So he's got friends in what we would consider high places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, you know, and, and anytime we have an A-list celebrity that actually comes to our facility to perform, not as a client, so like Steven Tyler's been here, um, Flo Rider has been here, Ty Dollar Sign, Candlebox, um, Billy Joel's band was here, you know, a few months ago. So anytime we start to get some press with some of these bigger named um, musicians that come through our facility, it kind of spreads through the community and, and we become a little bit more well known, you know, as each day goes by. Sure. Are you guys familiar with uh, Duke Roomley over at Sober AF Entertainment? Uh, I am not personally. Okay. No. I was just wondering. Um, I think his organization's a bit newer, but he tries to organize, you know, sober activities at concerts. You know, because obviously some people move into the recovery community, but they still want to attend normal festivals, and that can be hard, you know, considering the environment. So he does this thing where he, you know, gets people together, and then they band together and kind of hang out together at the, the concert or festival. Yeah, you might want to check him out. It's kind of an interesting concept that I like. Okay. Yeah, we do have a we do have a nonprofit, by the way, called Face the Music Foundation. Okay. Um, and we do put on some benefit concerts, and you know the money that gets collected in that foundation goes to help any um, you know for any clients who may be coming in on a scholarship to our facility, um, or any scholarship clients that you know move to halfway that you know may help them get started, get their foot you know, in the door to halfway house as far as, you know, a move-in cost or something like that as well. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, Face the Music Foundation. Sure. So kind of as you mentioned, you know, and me looking through some of your guys' advertising and current efforts, you actually don't use any of the, um, any famous people that have been through the program in your advertising. You don't even really mention them. And I'm sure some of that's privacy and discretion. Um, yeah, it's HIPAA. Yep. Yeah. But that was interesting to me, too, that, you know, that wasn't really brought up. And your message is really just like you said, it's connecting people to music to recovery. So can you explain a little bit just, you know, I guess a little bit more about that approach and kind of that openness to everyone um, without relying on, you know, maybe famous, famous people that I know some centers do. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, um, obviously we have to strictly adhere to HIPAA laws and, and, you know, we can't disclose which clients have been in our facility, um, you know, and, and especially exploit that and use that for, you know, marketing or advertising. So um, just not something we would ever do and not something we would even consider. Um, but, you know, I think that our program itself, without disclosing the people who have gone through it, kind of speaks for itself. You know, the type of treatment we provide, the, the different types of groups we do. Um, I can give you an example of one of the groups we do, which happens to be one of the most powerful groups that we do. Um, it's called Open Mic. And the primary clinician who is working with a client, depending on whatever their issues is, maybe it's, um, you know, childhood origin issues or um, any past traumas that they might have had or Whatever their issue is, on, on open mic day, their clinician is going to give them an assignment, 
to write about that particular issue. And it may be a little bit more specific than what I'm disclosing right now, but for just for example purposes. So they spend their day, um, or at least a few hours, um, the first few hours of the day coming up with and doing this writing assignment. And if they're musically inclined, you know, they can make it into a song with lyrics. Um, but the purpose of open mic is so at every one of our facilities, we have a stage built. You know, and it's a real stage with lights and cameras and microphones and instruments, of course. And in front of the community, that client will get up on the stage um, in front of that microphone and will either recite or play their assignment. And what happens is, you know, there, there's, there's a change that occurs when you step up on a stage and the lights are on you as opposed to sitting in a group in a circle just in a chair and talking. Um, there's a sense of vulnerability that comes about, um, there's intimacy and a client is up there kind of disclosing stuff that, you know, most people would take to their graves. <laughs> and what happens with our community is, is that vulnerability and intimacy becomes contagious. And when one client sees another client get that vulnerable, that next client then assumes it's safe to do the same thing. And before you know it, and this is just my favorite day of the week of open mic, you know, by the time this group is over, and it's like a four-hour group, and by the time the group is over, the community is just so tight. The milieu is so tight. You know, all the clients together um, are just so tight that everybody understands that being in treatment at Recovery Unplugged is about bringing the person up and not bringing the person down. And no matter where they come from, what their background is, whether they're a musician or not, we all have a brain and we all have feelings and we all hurt. And it's been really, really neat, you know, just to um, watch the process of open mic and see what it actually does for the community. I love that. So, so you guys use music in such creative ways, I think, as you've explained a lot here. And you mentioned a couple things, you know, again, as the VP of business development, you've got um, business cards, you've got brochures shaped like guitar picks. Are there other mm -hmm. ways that you guys use music in your specific like business development outreach that might create, be creative? I just kind of want to spark sure. some ideas of listeners here. Sure. Um, I mean, if you look at any of our online advertising, be it on you know Facebook campaigns or Instagram campaigns or even TV commercials, which we've produced, um, it typically centers around um, you know the use of music. Usually, with Richie performing, um, we have a, a great guy on our team who is on the marketing side, you know, on the digital and the print side that has come up with some really good campaigns with some great taglines and music is always involved. One of the things that we've been doing now, and, and this is something that's occurred since the inception, we have a group here every Friday called Feel Good Friday. And it's a hour and a half long group split into two sessions. It starts at 1.45, it runs till 2.30. There's a break till 2.45. And then um, at 2.45, it resumes again, and it's on till 3.15, 3.30. And it's a live musical performance group with Richie Supa and his band. Hmm. And, you know, Richie wrote an album, which we also give out when we're marketing. It's called Enemy. And, you know, so we have a bunch of his um, CDs. And on this album, he has written, um, I want to say, probably about 15 songs, all geared to recovery. And so although they do a lot of covers from Aerosmith during Feel Good Friday or the Beatles or um, the Eagles or whoever, 
um, typically at least five of the songs that are played every Friday are off of his album. And watching the clients interact during this Feel Good Friday group, I mean, they're up and they're dancing around and they're moving around. And I don't care if they're 70 years old or 19 years old. They are up and they're out of, out of their seats. I mean, Richie is just such a tremendous performer. So to kind of tie in, you know, how we're using this in our marketing is we've just recently started live streaming Feel Good Friday every Friday on both Facebook and Instagram. Oh, smart. So if anybody is curious, um, you know, they can log on, um, find our Facebook page at Recovery Unplugged Fort Lauderdale, and every Friday they have a chance to sit in on Feel Good Friday um, at our facility. So it's a, a really neat thing. That's awesome. Really neat. That's very smart. Yeah, a lot of centers are not using the power of live in their marketing outreach and people don't know, but algorithmically it gets a boost on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but it's also just kind of a change in the marketplace and in people, they prefer to see live content. And so you can attract a much bigger following with that than something pre-produced or more polished. It's very cool to hear. Thanks. So something I'm interested in a little bit is obviously owning a marketing company with an addiction treatment. We always see many more inquiries coming in from um, referrals or loved ones rather than the admit themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering, you know, with your guys' approach, do you see it, any difference, do you think, in terms of more maybe self-admits coming in just because they relate more to the music? Or is it still, do you think, a similar ratio of uh, referrals to self-admits? I think the long and short answer to that is it depends. Um, it depends on, you know, the campaign that's out there. You know, did, did somebody see a TV commercial, you know, that we produced from Recovery Unplugged and, you know, a mom saw it and called and say, listen, you know, I have a son who's struggling. He's a musician. Um, or was the son the person sitting in front of the TV when that commercial came on? <laughs> sure. So I think that, you know, just from my estimations and again, you know, I don't oversee the digital side of things. I'm more on the, you know, the outreach side. But my guess would be it's probably 50-50. Hmm. Um, now we do get a right. lot of word of mouth referrals, um, from clients who have been in our facility or just people who know of our facility when they come across somebody who's got a love for music. Hmm. It's really interesting. Well, Barry, I really appreciate all the information today. I just, I love what you guys do. I'm so glad to have you on the show today. So is there anything else that you'd like to mention or, um, kind of give information to our audience? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of let you know, um, A, our locations, you know, um, where we are and what states we're in. Uh, we're in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida and Lake Worth, Florida. Um, in Florida, we have all levels of care from residential detox to true residential to PHP, IOP and OP. Um, you know, something interesting that I don't think was mentioned is when somebody steps down to our intensive outpatient program if they're going to reside in our sober living and if they have any history of opiate abuse um, those clients are um, they must be on vivitrol which is an opiate blocker um, to be in our uh, sober living facility and i think that's important to mention where there's a lot of facilities out there that you know don't take that necessary measure because unfortunately um, this is a business and you know they they uh, I don't know if the word is secretly hope that, you know, a client relapses so they can come back in. Um, you know, our hearts are in the right place and we actually want our clients to get this and never come back. 
Um, and, and because of that, over the last five plus years, you know, we've never had an overdose at our sober living facilities. So I think that's important to mention. So yeah, we're in Fort Lauderdale, Lake Worth, Florida. We're out in Austin, Texas. Um, again, all levels of care out there, detox, residential, PHP, IOP. Um, we're in a little town called Kerrville, Texas. We're opening in the next 30 days a detox and residential facility in Dallas-Fort Worth or the Plano area, which is about three hours away from our Austin facility. We have a small in-network facility in Annandale, Virginia, which is about six miles outside of D.C., and in northern Virginia, and we just broke ground, as I mentioned earlier, in Nashville, Tennessee, um, which, you know, I think will be a great place for Recovery Unplugged, you know, to have their footprint. And, um, you know, if anybody, you know, ever needs to reach me or they have any questions, you know, my phone number is area code 754-246-8999, and my email is Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, the letter R, at recoveryunplugged.com. Any and all questions, I'd be happy to answer. And um, I'm not sure if you're looking for anything else, Nick. Yeah, you're good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, to all our My listeners. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, again, to all our listeners out there, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. It's brought to you by Circle Social, Inc., experts in marketing outreach and growth for addiction treatment behavioral health clinics we thank you for joining us you can always tune in on basically anywhere podcasts are found whether you want to live stream or download itunes stitcher intunes and we hope to see you next time thank you so much